Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2. We're going to spend today talking about the, the Magi, the wise men. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we will return back to our study of Joshua. And it will be the perfect uh, New Year's uh, uh, passage to reflect on as we finish the battle of Ai and had that tragedy. We're going to be renewing ourselves and our covenant with the Lord as the people of God did back in uh, Joshua's day. So look forward to that. But today we're going to think about these wise men and Herod and the religious leaders and all involved in the worship of Christ here in Matthew 2, 1 through 18, where it says, let's stand together for the reading of God if you are able. Where God's word says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son... Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A, ver a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. Please be seated. Well, if you are following the church calendar, today is the second day of the 12 days of Christmas that run all the way to January 5th. And I know Presbyterians don't historically invest a lot into the church calendar, so it may be foreign to some of you. So that's why we sing about the 12 days of Christmas. 
The evening of January 5th is referred to in some countries as Twelfth Night. And if you're a Shakespeare fan, I'm not. I just looked this up on the Internet. Uh, Twelfth Night is one of his plays, and it's referring to this evening of January the 5th, which precedes the next day, January 6th, as Epiphany. Epiphany is, uh, it comes from a Greek word for manifestation or appearance, and in classical Greek often refers to a manifestation of a deity to a worshiper. And that's what Epiphany really is all about. In the Western church, which is what we are, uh, in the Western church, Epiphany is a celebration of the first manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, specifically these magi, these wise men, who came to worship Jesus in, our, in the text before us today. So today we're celebrating Epiphany 10 days early. So if you're a really church calendar enthusiast, please forgive me. Uh, we're, we're jumping the gun a little bit and giving Christmas a bit of short shrift. But we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ, so it's all appropriate. And we're, we're talking about Jesus, so perfectly appropriate for the Lord's day. So before us today, we have this account of the Magi that Matthew has shared with us, a great example of perseverance and sacrifice in order to worship Jesus the King. A great example to us here today. Uh, it was an appropriate response to the revelation given to them of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. They saw the star, they responded in coming thousand, maybe more miles to worship this baby, Jesus, who was born, as they said, King of the Jews. Now, just to back it up and give you a big picture of the Gospel of Matthew, we haven't spent a lot of time in Matthew here in the church since I've been here. We spent more time in Luke. But the Gospel of Matthew was written uh, as, a, as an apologetic for Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, Matthew is very concerned to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, he quotes over 50 Old Testament passages throughout this gospel, much more than all the rest of the gospels. So he's trying to show to the Jews that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, and he's proving it from the Old Testament and the life of Christ. In fact, he quotes three Old Testament in just the 18 verses we just read, three Old Testament passages in the 18 verses we just read. Jesus is indeed the great Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Messiah and Christ are equivalent uh, terms. Messiah is the Hebrew term. Christ is the Greek term. They both mean one set apart, chosen by God for a specific purpose. And, and obviously to be the Messiah of the world, the one who came, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And we see his greatness, that Matthew's trying to show us, his greatness expounded by Matthew in this account before us in at least two ways. There's many ways, but I'm going to give you two ways. It's shown by the people who do worship him, and it's shown by the people who are his enemies in the passage. And I want to draw those two things out here in a few minutes. And the first thing we want to look at is, is these worshipers. Jesus' greatness is shown by these three or three or more or less, we don't know, 
Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh makes it traditionally that there were three wise men. We don't know how many wise men. The text doesn't exactly tell us. Maybe it was a whole host of wise men that came. But anyway, whatever the number, they come and uh, show the greatness of Jesus in their actions. And I want to pull that out of the passage. You see here in the first two verses, it just introduces them to us. Wise men from the east, and they've asked, and this is the only thing that you hear them say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Who are these wise men from the east? Well, the word for wise men here is magi. And they were probably from Babylonia or Persia uh, or some other part even further east in, uh, in Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula. Um, they were probably from modern-day Iraq, about 1,500 miles away. Magi were wise men in the sense that they were seers who interpreted dreams, diviners, experts in astrology and astronomy. Obviously, they've been looking at the stars. It's, uh, we get our word magician from the word magi. Daniel, in the Old Testament, was a magi. He was a wise man. He was schooled in the ways of the Chaldeans, and the, the Chaldeans were connected with the Persians and in Babylonia, and they were known for their wisdom. And so Daniel, you know, he was, he was exiled from Jerusalem very early on as a young man, and he was schooled in all the ways of the Chaldeans. And he, of course, not by his schooling, but by the Lord working through him and revealing to him Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. So he became the ultimate magi in, in, uh, in the court there in the book of Daniel. So that's what a magi is. And these particular magi here in Matthew, uh, they came to worship Jesus. They were dignitaries from a foreign court. You know, the magi in Daniel had a close connection with Nebuchadnezzar and they, he relied on them and wanted them to help him interpret his dreams. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, it caused a stir, according to verse 3. They were Gentiles, not Jews, but through their study of the stars, they discover that a great king has been born. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And they saw it there, and they rightly interpreted it. They looked to the heavens, and they rightly discerned what God revealed to them there. And they travel thousands of miles following the star to pay homage to this one whom, as they say, has been born king of the Jews. Not has been born to become king of the Jews, but has been born king of the Jews. As I said Friday night, who's born a king? I mean, you be, might be born to be in succession to the king, but usually no one is born a king. There's only one king in a nation, and it's usually the guy that's in charge right now. So here's a baby. When he's born, he's already the king. In fact, he's the king of kings. So... He's already the king, and they want to worship him, to bow down to him, and present rare and expensive gifts to him to show their respect and their joy at his birth. 
And you notice, as I mentioned before, their only recorded words were, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship, to worship him. They're forthright. That's what their goal and mission is, their quest. They are dead set on finding this one and worshiping him. Now, that word for worship is, the, uh, is used here in the, and is, it is only used in the New Testament in relation to a, the, the worship of a divine object. So you don't use this word to mean anything else than worshiping the divine. So when they say this, and when Matthew records it for us, they are coming from a great distance, not to just worship any old king, but to worship the divine king. And that's why it's so important to them. See the glory of Christ shine through. He is the divine king who has revealed himself to these wise men, and they're doing everything they can to come and bow down before him. That word also has the, as a physical element, uh, the word worship here, it means to prostrate yourself before someone in order to lift them up and exalt them above yourself, to put yourself in a posture that, that you are before greatness and you need to bow down. And that's what these guys were doing. They were coming to bow down to a baby in a manger. Well, he was in a house by this point. But to a baby and to present him exotic, expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They, they're taking this very seriously because it's not like when you travel in those days that you're going to stop at uh, Holiday Inn Express along the way and get a rest. You know, you're coming 1,500 miles plus, probably on camels and other beasts of burden. You've got to have feed. You've got to have help. You've got to find places to stay. They went to a lot of trouble to come worship a baby. And they're only following a star to do it. So they have gone to great lengths in order to worship Jesus Christ. And that just shows the glory of Christ, that he's worthy of their worship. You know, it's kind of a cliche now that people put wise men still seek him. It's true. Wise men still seek him. If you're wise, you'll follow their example. But in our story here, they've lost the trail. They have supposed, of course, that the new king, if he's the king of the Jews, he would be born in Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem looking for this king, using logic. But alas, he's not there. So they continue on their way. And you'll notice that after their interview with Herod, after they had lost the trail, the star reappears and, and it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I guess they broke out in their happy dance when they saw that star again. And they were, look, the, the love the way that Matthew expresses, expresses it. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Exceedingly with great joy. I mean, he packs on the superlatives about how they were feeling about it. They were so excited to pick up, pick up the trail of the star. And then they were led to Bethlehem, about six miles outside of Jerusalem, to the city of David, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born to fulfill the messianic prophecy. They bowed the knee, they presented their gifts, and they were the first of many Gentiles to worship Christ. And, of course, most of us here have prayed we're 
Gentiles. We don't have a Jewish background ethnically. And so we can rejoice that the Lord revealed himself to these Gentiles, strangers, as Sarah saying at the beginning, he's made a stranger a child of God. That's why Jesus came to the nations. And so we rejoice in that as Gentiles. The wise men also stand as a reminder that there is only one God, the creator of the universe, and that he desires all people to worship him from the heart, not just the ethnic Jews, but now the Gentiles, right at the very beginning. And we've even seen that in the book of Joshua. Rahab and her family are brought in to the people of God. They're Gentiles. They're enemies of the people of God, and they are allowed to come in, and she is a grandmother, great, great, however many times, grandmother of Jesus Christ. So God has a heart for the Gentiles. Praise the Lord for that as a Gentile, for sure. So he's the one creator. He's the God for all nations. And he's going to bring people from every tongue, tribe, and nation under Christ. That's where we are here. And that's what we're celebrating. Although God chose Abraham's descendant as his special people, they were to serve as a kingdom of priests, mediating to the rest of the world God's identity as creator and his character as a merciful and forgiving God. And here Matthew hints that this multinational blessing has started to be fulfilled. This is the very beginning of the nations coming in. Why do we read that strange call to worship this morning from Micah? Because that's one of the prophecies from the Old Testament that talk about the nations flooding to Jerusalem to, to inquire of the Lord. And here we have the beginning of that in Matthew. Well, worship is the most important thing that's going on here. These men understood that this baby Jesus was of the greatest importance before he actually did anything at all. I mean, he's just a baby. What's he going to do? I mean, we see the baby here, uh, helpless, small, needing his mother's full attention. And here they are coming to worship this baby. And he hasn't even done anything. They spared no effort. I mean, it took a couple of years you know, the reason that Herod kills everybody two years and under, it's the timeline. This is, Jesus is a toddler at this point. And so it's taken them a long time. They saw the star, they've been traveling, you know, 1,500 plus miles. It takes time in those days on horseback, camelback, whatever it might be. So they've taken the time and the expense, and they bring even great gifts along with the expense of just traveling that far because they want to worship Jesus, and they're doing it just by the light of one star in the sky. That one star is guiding them and, and compelling them to go worship the one that it is shining the light upon. Well, what about us? We have so much more light, don't we? We have the light of the gospel. We have God's word written down for us. We have all this information. We have all that Christ did do. I mean, they didn't have a Jesus that had done anything yet. We have Jesus who lived a perfect life, who died a sacrificial death on the cross, that ascended to heaven and has promised to return again one day. We have all this light. We know what he's done and what he's promised to do. Will we worship him? 
like these wise men did. Not just on a Sunday, but will we bow in our hearts before him every day because he's worthy of that. To live in submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords who died so that we might be his children, that we Gentile strangers might be a part of the family of God, part of his kingdom. Will you make it your grand quest to exalt Jesus like these wise men did? Will you make the effort and expend your resources to worship Christ with your life? That's what it, what it calls for when you have one who is the Son of God come to earth, come to save us. The right response is a life of worship. Not just coming to church on Sunday, but a life prostrate and serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. John Calvin said this about this passage. If the sight of a star had so powerful effect on the Magi, woe to our insensibility, who now that Christ the King has been revealed to us, are so cold in our inquiries after him. Jesus' greatness is shown by these Magi who spared no expense or time to worship Christ, the King. Well, let's look at the dark side of this. Jesus' greatness is also, oddly enough, shown by the enemies in this passage. Herod, namely, the religious leaders also. We see here in um, verse, one of these verses, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he heard the Magi came uh, and made their inquiries. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So everybody was stirred up over the coming of these Magi from the east. The word trouble there literally, literally means to stir up something. Something is stirred up. So figuratively, by extension, it means to cause acute emotional distress or turbulence. The people were disturbed. Herod was disturbed. All Jerusalem with him. The wise men caused a commotion in the capital city by their presence and their inquiries. Doesn't that seem odd that they were troubled about these strangers arriving with their gifts, exotic people from the east? All they're asking to find is this one who's just been born. They're looking for a baby. I guess it's the part born king of the Jews that's got Herod upset. So all of Jerusalem is stirred up and disturbed about these, these people coming. The religious leaders, they point out when Herod asked them, where, where is this one to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem, according to the prophecy, Micah. And right, they were right on, dead on. But not one of them took the effort to go six miles to check it out. These men have come into Jerusalem, and everybody's aware of it and all stirred up about it. They've come 1,500-plus miles to worship this baby, and they are talking about, yes, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Well, they're 5.8 miles 
from Bethlehem. And yet they don't take the trouble to find out if the Messiah that has been prophesied for thousands of years is actually been born. They don't even investigate it at all. And it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Have we? Are we like them? Have we taken the trouble to investigate Jesus Christ, especially now that we know so much more about him? I mean, this was just a baby being born, but now we have the single most important person who's ever lived and who's had a greater influence over the entire earth I mean, you just look at him. We're just talking historically speaking. Jesus Christ has made more of a difference in the world just by his life and, and the results of, of his life, the church, and, and all the history behind it. I mean, name another individual who has had the impact on the earth and the history of the earth than Jesus Christ. Just by that fact alone, you should investigate it. You know, People are skeptical. They dismiss Jesus. A lot of people have never even considered Jesus. Why would you not take the time to investigate and look deeply into Jesus? Because if he is who he says he was, and if he did what, he, what the Bible says he did, then there's nothing more important than seeking him to making inquiries about him. And here we have religious leaders not even willing to go six miles down the road to check it out, to see if it's true or not. What a shame. It should stir us up to find out the truth and to really seek and inquire. The wise men were looking at the sky, looking for signs, diligently searching, and here they have something revealed to them that is so great, and they take every effort, spare no expense, to go find out. And then there was some people who had the scriptures, knew the prophecies, yet did not go look. Is it true of us as well? You know, we sit in church, we go through the motions. Are we really seeking the Lord? Are we really inquiring and seeking to learn about him and the significance of who he is and to worship him rightly like the Magi? And then you have Herod. Herod the Great. He was the king of Judea, placed there by the Romans. He wasn't ethnically Jewish, uh, so he, he would probably have thought of himself as king of the Jews. He, he did practice the Jewish religion. I mean, he doesn't know that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, so he obviously didn't wrestle with it a whole lot. And his life obviously didn't show it as well. His father was an Edomite, uh, that's a descendant of Esau, so he wasn't of the line of Jacob. His mother was uh, uh, from an ancient Arab people, the Nabataeans, and so Herod was an Arab. He was raised Jewish. He has a reputation as a great builder. He built a temple in Jerusalem, famous for that. Many other projects surround Jerusalem and, and, and their surrounding regions. And he kept peace at any cost. He was a tyrant to that end, and uh, nobody liked him who was under his rule. And just by reading the passage before us, you can see why, that he would just go murder a bunch of two-year-olds and under. Uh, his, uh, he, he, had, he put to death one of his wives and several sons 
because they didn't serve his purposes. And Caesar Augustus said of him, it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. And in the language, pig and son are similar words, so it was a play on words. Better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Well, some of them did survive. I'll tell you about that in a minute. He was not popular with the people, as I said, because of his tyranny. And, uh, and of course, we see him murdering the children in, in and around Bethlehem, two years old and younger. But he was more than just a jealous king seeking to preserve his power and place by a baby that he thought was maybe a threat to him. He was truly an agent of Satan seeking to destroy Christ and his church. Herod the Great, he was trying to destroy Jesus. That's what he was doing. Now, there are several Herods in the New Testament. He's not the only one. Uh, they're all of his line. Herod, uh, Herod Antipas was the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. Great guy. Sarcasm intended. And he was just doing that to save face at a party because he kind of liked John the Baptist or at least liked to talk to him. And he was also, Herod Antipas, his, uh, one of his sons, was the Herod to whom Jesus was sent by Pontius Pilate. And Jesus would not speak to him, would not respond to his questions. So he treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him in league with Pontius Pilate. And then in the book of Acts, you have Herod Agrippa, another jewel in the line. He was a great-grandson of Herod the Great. Herod Agrippa had the apostle James murdered, and he was trying to kill Peter as well. He had Peter imprisoned and was seeking to destroy him. They were all set out in that line to snuff out Jesus and his church, and because of that, they are agents of Satan, agents of the red dragon that we read about in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, where it says... A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Well, all that figurative uh, imagery that we see here is, is a, a picture of the woman, is a picture of the church or the people of God throughout the ages, and then this child being born is Jesus. He was born out of the people of God. He took on human flesh and became part of the people of God. He was born uh, as part of the people of God. And the enemies of Satan, Herod and his followers, and all who were against Christ and his church are seeking to destroy it. But the Lord in his providence has preserved his church. But it just is a a reiteration of what Paul said in Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is not just a jealous king seeking to snuff out a, a local rival. This is a cosmic battle of good versus evil, of God and his people against Satan and his minions. And that's how important Jesus' coming was. Satan had his representative there trying to snuff it out, but he can't because God has promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus, of course, is, is the king of kings and lord of lords and no one can stop him. Satan can't. He's defeated. That's how great Jesus is, we see here. Uh, these wise men saw the light and they responded appropriately. The forces of evil saw the light and they wanted to snuff it out, but they could not and they will not. So, in this epiphany season where the light is shining forth, the light of the gospel is shining forth, how will you respond? Will you respond with the right worship, bowing yourself before the King of kings and Lord of lords, seeking him out, inquiring of him, giving your time, your, your resources, your life to him, and in response to, to you, he will welcome you in and bring you into his family, make you his child. Well, that's what we celebrate. If you know that today, we can rejoice for what the Lord has done for us. But if not, if you're a skeptic or if you're, you, you've dismissed Jesus or not taken it very seriously, I want to challenge you today to seek Jesus out. Anyone who calls upon his name, uh, he will never cast out. He will welcome you in. Anyone who calls upon him will be saved. He is the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who's come to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the only hope, the only light, and if you neglect that, there's only darkness. There's only darkness. So take the example of these wise men to heart and become a wise person yourself and seek Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do pray that you would stir us up to seek you and to worship you, to bow in our hearts before you and to in our lives serve you, you as our king, we as your servants, to do what you would have us to do and to be who you would have us to be. And Lord, we thank you that you are not a tyrant like a Herod or other king but you are a merciful and loving heavenly Father who has made every effort to show us light, to save us. And Lord, we pray that we would not push that away, but that we would all embrace the light. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.